thanks everyone. Uh, this is John D'Agostino from DMS, uh, and thank you for joining in uh, for the second and what I hope will be a short series of crisis-related uh, webinars and conference calls. Um, so there's a lot of these calls going on these days from various um, uh, various participants in the in the industry. Uh, most are coming from secondary sources and highly qualified and intelligent interpretations of uh, of what primary sources are are doing. Um, and so my thinking was. Uh, as excellent as those interpretations are, uh, it might be useful to arrange a series of calls with uh, primary sources um, to say to talk about how they're working uh, in this new uh, short-lived paradigm. Uh, Monday, we talked about uh, the data science of studying pandemics. Uh, today, we'll be talking about political and economic responses to the crisis. And tomorrow, we'll be hearing from uh, large allocators uh, specifically, or specifically around operational due diligence and what they'll be looking for uh, during this unprecedented time. So the good news is you're hearing information directly from the proverbial uh, horse's mouth. Uh, in this case, uh, three fine English thoroughbreds. Uh, the bad news is because they aren't looking to sell anything, uh, these presentations will generally not be accompanied uh, by any uh, visual material or pre-prepared information. So please take notes um, uh, when you hear something important. I cannot confirm that my follow-up note will be comprehensive. Uh, so I'll dispense with all the obligatory opening language about how unprecedented these times are. I think we're all aware of that. Uh, we're extremely lucky today, and we have been very lucky to build a trusted and long-standing relationship with representatives from Her Majesty's government for some time. Those of you at our past few conferences have seen them present. In the normal course, uh, this relationship has provided us and our clients uh, extremely valuable perspective on UK economic policy and markets. Now, uh, these days, this perspective is even more insightful. So today we have uh, David Porter, uh, Edward Price, and Haitham Ajabani. Uh, these are friends of the firm who don't need to be doing this today, so I want to extend my thanks to them for taking the time. Um, as with all of these primary resource calls, we remind you that these are off the record. Uh, please do not quote, summarize, or attribute anything you hear today in a public manner. Uh, we're very, very fortunate to have them speak, and so I appreciate you respecting um, the topic today is around economic policy response to COVID-19 uh, in the UK, and so we'll get started with uh, David Porter. Uh, David, thank you very much for joining. You've just been appointed uh, head of financial services, a uh, relatively new role for you, so this is a uh, trial by fire, if there ever was one. Uh, so my opening question for you um, is, uh, we'll get this out of the way, uh, how is the Prime Minister, I think everyone's obviously very, uh, very interested in hearing um, how his health is faring these days? Uh, first of all, John, thank you very much for giving us to update. Uh, in terms of the Prime Minister, we receive morning uh, uh, from the Foreign Office. Uh, this morning's update uh, is quoted as stable and responding to treatment. Um, the Prime Minister continued to receive standard oxygen treatment without a need for a ventilator during his second night in the ICU. His temper has also reduced, fever has also reduced. Hospital. I think I said his temper has reduced. I don't know why I would say that. Uh, he, he continues to be cared for in the intensive care unit at St Thomas's Hospital. Spirits. Uh, so that is the uh, update. So um, if you had to top line that, it sounds like it's uh, heading in a decent direction, and it seems like a good update. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Um, so uh, you've just you've just been appointed to this role. We met a few uh, a few God it feels like forever, but really a few weeks ago. I think one of your first days when you're in this new role. Um, so the question I had to kind of kick you off uh, for, for your for your comments and thoughts 
although it might be might be insightful, is what what, what did you hope to accomplish when you joined uh, a month or so ago, and, and how does COVID nineteen adjust those plans? Yeah. Um, so I'd say the priorities uh, a few weeks ago were one, facilitating trade and export plans and projects; two, focusing on market access barriers; and three helping secure a great UK-US free trade agreement. Um, the goalposts have moved, and the goalposts have been moved because they've been altered significantly by COVID-19. To give that some perspective, back in 2007, uh, I joined JP Morgan, uh, running a, a credit business at JP Morgan. Timing was exquisitely bad, of course, to run a credit business. Um, it was pretty awful in clients and their stress. That stress turns into defaults, that turns into repricing loans, turns into material losses, re-engineering, but then finally recovery. Um, and in terms of the change in our focus, well, first of all, we're going to be helping understand business stress. Uh, we're going to help good businesses weather the storm and we'll help that we'll help do that by for example securing capital um changing regulatory and adjusting regulatory approach then um as all being well green shoot recovery appear we can get back to uh the other priorities um so the goalposts have moved we will respond to that and um, fortunately we've got good folks around us to help us be useful and uh, dynamic and responsive in this environment. Great. Um, thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Um, so just as a, as a, as a short, as a short follow-up to that, uh, uh, David, um, you know, part of what your, part of what your group does and has done extremely effectively over the last few years is uh, interact with the financial community uh, here in New York. Uh, we've done a series of breakfasts. Uh, your team is very active. Um, Assuming we live in this new paradigm of no face-to-face -face interaction for the next few months, um, uh, how, how do you how, how do you see yourself and your group engaging uh, with the financial and the asset management community specifically um, uh, in, in, in the new paradigm? Sure. Um, well, just like banking, if you imagine ten years ago in banking, you know you met in the lobby of the Ritz Carlton, you uh, went to an event in the Shangri La in Toronto. That's kind of how you did business. You met new clients that way. You that way, whether it was uh, for a personal uh, business or for institutions. But things have changed in the last 10 years. When did you, you know, you last walk into a bank branch? Things become digital in terms of how you connect with prospects, how you explain products, how you um, tape your experts and um, feed them into microsites um, to access webinars, podcasts, etc. That's how banking has evolved. And uh, we will evolve too. In that way. So we are looking for a similar kind of interactive model that we will in a bridge mark market that will be kind of microsite based webinars, podcast sector focused on areas of interest, virtual events, etc. So basically we will drag ourselves kicking into the digital age to uh, be useful in the same way that our clients are useful. Um, we're going to match that. Excellent. Thank you. Um, and, and I've been pushing uh, the utility uh, your department for some time with, with clients. So people on this call, if you're on this call, you obviously have an interest um, uh, or exposure to the UK. 
Uh, so please reach out to me after this call if, you've, if I've not connected you to the consulate and to David's team, uh, and I will. Um, so, so David, thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, Haytham, we'll, we'll kick it over to you. Uh, if, you uh, if you can walk us through, what, what are the programs that the United Kingdom has put in place uh, to respond, or let's just say, that what are the most salient programs uh, the UK has put in place to respond to COVID-19? Uh, thanks very much, John. It's great to join this call, and I hope you and everyone on the line is safe and well. Um, I think we're running out of adjectives to describe the, 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 the economic uh, fallout from this crisis, um, but certainly unprecedented is one that we can continue to uh, use. And I think uh, the UK policy response has also been unprecedented. Um, uh, significant government-backed measures have been introduced to provide funding and other support for businesses. Um, as you know, the government appreciates this is an incredibly tricky time for, for a lot of companies who were financially sound prior to this crisis, and if they make it through, will be sound afterwards. Um, so I'll do a quick canter through uh, the various initiatives that have been launched by Treasury and other departments in the UK, and then happy to take any follow-up questions either on the line or, or afterwards. Um, but the measures can be broadly split, in, split into two categories. Um, on the one hand, you've got funding-based initiatives, which aim to bolster cash flow and liquidity position in the short to medium term. Uh, and then you've got uh, tax or grant-based initiatives to try and alleviate some of the cost pressures and preserve cash. Um, so some, some of the key ones uh, on the funding focus side are the um, COVID-19 Corporate Financing Facility, CCF. Uh, same that large, larger corporates uh, with uh, strong credits, um, investment grade or above, but, ex but who are experiencing liquidity pressures as a result of COVID. Um, the, the CCF allows large corporates to access short-term financing through commercial paper, um, and that's managed by the Bank of England. And then the other big headline measure on the funding side is the uh, Coronavirus Business Interrupt Loan Scheme. Um, to me, this looks the most similar to the payment protection program that the SBA is running here in the US. Um, so it uses infrastructure already in place, uh, administered by the British Business Bank, which I think, again, is our closest equivalent to the, to the SBA here in the US. Uh, and the idea is to provide a range of financing support over the short to medium term um, through loans at favourable terms. Um, I'll come back to some of these in a little bit more detail, but uh, on the tax side, um, you've got uh, various sets of initiatives, including VAT deferrals, that's our sales tax or equivalent to sales tax. Um, you've got uh, support around uh, when those taxes are due. So uh, a lot of the business taxes have been delayed. Um, we've got business rate reductions and holidays. Um, there's uh, employer grants to pay salaries uh, and refunds to businesses of statutory sick pay payments. Um, and then there's also some additional support for specific sectors. Um, and I'm going to go into a couple in a bit more detail. Uh, hey, Tim, quick, 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 quick question just before you move on from that. Um, uh, administratively, have the, has that has the program started? Are the, the, those loans been made or are they being made? Because we've seen some countries, uh, you know, massive success. Apparently, Germany is getting these done within uh, within half a day or a day. And other countries are having more problems uh, on, the, on the operational administrative side. How is the rollout uh, going? Uh, a very good question. Um, if we take, for example, the Coronavirus Business Interruption Loan Scheme, the CBILS, which, as I said, is uh, the closest parallel to the PPP scheme here. Um, those, that scheme's underway and loans are being made. Now, 
look, these, uh, these programs were devised by um, officials in the Treasury working 24-7 uh, for a lot of last week. And, you know, the scale of this program is in incredibly significant. And, uh, you know, there's clearly going to be teething problems. So the speed at which loans are getting out is a challenge. And there's a lot of effort going into increasing that. Um, there's also issues around the number of lenders um, that are approved as part of the British Business Bank. Again, a lot of work going into increasing the number of lenders that can use that facility. Um, and there's also tweaks going on all the time. I mean, the Chancellor announced this scheme um, last week and came out again last week with some tweaks um, based on feedback we'd gotten from industry around requirements to take the loans around some of the criteria that were being asked of um, uh, from lendees and uh, you know that that feedback is 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 consistently being applied to, to the program to make it as smooth as possible but it's clear that there are even problems and we're working through those as fast as we can thank you um, so just briefly before I hand back to you um, the uh, so just again on the business interruption load scheme um, there's two different types. There's one for uh, larger businesses and one for SMEs, uh, smaller and medium enterprises. Um, for the uh, larger businesses, um, include short-term loans, overdrafts, and in invoice asset financing. Um, the, the, the amounts are up to 25 million, um, and the government provides a guarantee to 80% of the value of the loan, um, whilst the companies uh, remain liable for the capital repayment. Um, and there's various eligibility criteria around that. Um, on the on the small and medium enterprise side, uh, again the same kind of financing, this time for amounts ranging from a thousand to five million. Again, uh, the, the terms of the loans are three to six, uh, three months to six years, and um, they're interest free for the first twelve months and no fees associated with taking that. So all of that, the fees, interest fees for the first year, sorry, the interest um, fees and uh, any fees associated with receiving the loans are covered by the government. Um, and then if I just, again, one of the key uh, tax, uh, uh, um, one of the key, um, uh, sorry, tax-based initiatives that I wanted to highlight is the um, coronavirus job retention screen, scheme. So obviously the UK government's conscious that um, payroll is a significant challenge for companies at the moment that have had to essentially close up shop because of the crisis. And so um, we announced the coronavirus job retention scheme. Um, which is a program that covers the 80% of the salary of any furloughed workers um, who are furloughed as a result of the coronavirus. Um, that's covered by the government. Um, it's then up to the employer whether they want to cover the additional 20%. Um, that 80% is capped at £2,500 a month. Um, the idea being there is, as we're seeing here in the US, the aim is to keep as many, as many people on the payroll as possible. Um, and we're seeing a lot of take up of that program. Um, at the same time, there's some people who can't, for whatever reason, be furloughed or employees aren't deciding to do that. Uh, so there's been a range of measures to up the un unemployment, the generosity of the unemployment benefits in the UK. So our equivalent of unemployment insurance is called uh, universal credit. Um, that's been increased in value and also broadened, so more people are eligible. Um, and the tax credits that apply um, for people on lower incomes, um, so who have had their um, 
who have their, had their uh, in, uh, income uh, reduced as a result of the crisis have also been uh, increased. And then on the um, on the small business side, sorry, on the self-employed side, you've got a similar scheme which looks to address the fact that you've got a range of people who are self-employed who are also struggling as they've had to uh, as they've seen interruption to their business. Um, and there's a similar scheme based on um, uh, uh, based on the uh, tax submissions that people have made in the, the last uh, tax year, which again covers uh, income up to £2,500 per month for the next three months. Um, so those are the key headline um, announcements. Again, as I said, these things have been worked at an incredible pace. And as you've seen here in the US, there is a challenge to getting them up to scale. But there are people working 24 hours both in Treasury, uh, our, uh, our revenue department, uh, Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs, um, and also the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, which is, has oversight over the British Business Bank, to make these as functional as possible, as soon as possible. Uh, John, I'll, I'll hand back to you there. Okay, th thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, and again, I want to I want to emphasize that um, for for some of these programs, we have uh, we have clients or funds that. Um, uh, particularly in the credit space, that are very interested in the application of these programs in the UK. Uh, you and your team have been incredibly responsive to queries um, and have been an invaluable resource. So I would encourage uh, anyone on this call who has uh, more, more, um, who may potentially have insight uh, into this. Uh, uh, David, uh, Haytham, and Edward have always been extremely uh, open to hearing uh, market perspectives on the application of these programs. So uh, thank, thank you very much. Um, Edward, uh, so um, you and I have spent a lot of time um, working with people on this call and others uh, around understanding the progress and the pace and the ramifications of Brexit uh, several years uh, at this point. Um, this is a very, very tough question for you, but, but can you speak to uh, the relationship between uh, COVID-19 and the response uh, and the UK exit from the EU, uh, its, its impact on the timetable, its impact uh, on a negotiation uh, uh, pace, uh, can you can you speak to sort of where, where you what you think this does to the uh, the pace of uh, of the of the UK's exit? Sure thing. Thank you, John. Um, thank you for setting up this call today. I hope that uh, you are well. Uh, I hope that everybody in the call is well. Um, and it would be remiss of me not to take this opportunity to thank you for those those last five or six years uh, of support and friendship um, with the consulate. So thank you. Um, so yes, the, the the B word, Brexit, I mean, there was a period uh, during that you and I were spending more time together, I think, than, than any other um, contact or, or client. We we really have been thinking about this this issue um, and I'll echo the sentiments of, of colleagues and your, your sentiment earlier, which is that this world, um, even six months ago, feels like um, 100 years ago. Uh, but nevertheless, we are um, proceeding as planned, and we have exited the European Union. That's in January. Um, and you're right; it is a, a tough question um, to to try and disentangle right now uh, where we are with COVID-19 and its effect, um, or otherwise, on that process. From from my seat, I don't see that they are strictly related, because as I say, we're going ahead with our original timetable. So, in to my mind. There's an intersection between them, but um, if you like, exiting the EU remains the independent variable. It's something that we're going to be doing um, and finishing as a process anyway. Now, it, it would be it would be odd to sit here today and say that this new crisis, um, in its scale and nature, both, is uh, is not something that 
is distracting attention is, and is something that we're thinking about. Um, you know, we just heard from, from Haytham, um, who's in fact our Treasury Secretary, so he's very well placed to discuss that response. Um, I suppose another way of putting that is there are, there are two curves, if you like. One we want to flatten, which is the rate of infections, um, and one that we want as steep as possible, which is understanding the nature of the virus um, and how to combat infection. So the very short answer is, um, I don't see that there is a direct impact other than um, perhaps in methods, but not in means and not in timetable. So that, that's, um, that's, 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 I think, good news for anyone uh, with UK exposure uh, who, who have a, a view, uh, who have planned a, a portfolio, or planned a, a risk portfolio around, uh, around the timetable that they had come to understand over the last, I've studied this issue for the last uh, several months. Um, I guess from a layman's perspective, from a, from a non, uh, uh, from somebody not, not in the political world, there'd be an expectation that just the, uh, the, the manual process of engaging in negotiations and the, and the millions of pages of documents that need to be drawn up would be uh, would be delayed. But it sounds like uh, the virtual uh, application of that diplomatic policy can be um, uh, that that it can it can work virtually. Yeah, I think so. I think there's two questions there, if I may. There's um, the practicalities, the logistics of the final negotiation phase phase two negotiation. And then there is um, judging risk exposure to the United Kingdom. So the first is a very um, is almost a very simple answer. Uh, don't take my word for it. If you look at um, Cabinet Office Minister Michael Gove's remarks in the Commons Select Committee the other day, in fact, he said that um, you know the structure of negotiations will have to flex to reflect the situation, um, and that's something that we can do and we're exploring. But uh, that's something that we'll do in tandem with the European Commission. So both parties are experiencing this common shock. Um, and I think, you know, the, the, the underlying fundamental dynamics of what we're doing um, remain uh, in place. Uh, but, you know, the other point, I suppose, is, is something that you and I have talked about a lot, engaged with the market a lot, and that is the, um, the risk profile for the up or the down of the United Kingdom as... Um, as an asset in itself and as a place to do business. And I think that if you if you sort of want to think about this slightly askew, um, as a result, unwittingly, as a result of the, the Brexit process, um, the UK policy community has, in essence, front-loaded a lot of its outside of the box thinking about world trade. Um, and if you want to sort of, you know, sift through the commentary that's out there at the moment and um, read the runes on, changes which i'm always loath to do as you know um but if you do that you're you're seeing quite a lot of thinking about how the global economy is going to be increasingly shock driven um it, it may be perhaps there are now asynchronous covid cycles right um going forward or, or other such pandemics um and if again if you read even further between the lines discussions uh, with regard to the the nature of the shock emerging in the labor market it's not in the in the financial system as per last time um and lots of thinking about uh particularly with regard to new technologies how do you how do you track trade how do you think about safety um in supply chains and if you like the way i think about that is that there's going to be perhaps a bit more thought about how the efficiencies of scale will now be subject to thinking about the inefficiencies of fails and how consumers will be thinking as much about who's touched as how much, right? So 
the price of goods will now probably include some sort of safety sticker in the future. Now, as far as I'm concerned, the United Kingdom is very, very well placed to make um, significant uh, pro-health, pro-trade contribution to that discussion in the world, um, but is also in and of itself well placed in um, a, a global economy that will still be characterized by trade, but also new thinking about trade. That's a fascinating way of thinking about it. I mean, as, you, as you're speaking, what I'm hearing, um, and, and perhaps this is getting ahead of ourselves too much, but uh, it, it occurs to me that um, the relationship between countries uh, that that truly trust each other and trust each other with each other's information um, uh, will so trade negotiations between countries that can trust each other with citizens' health data, for example, um, might uh, might might that that might prove to a much stronger relationship in the future, given the need for. Uh, universal databases um, uh, that that most people think will emerge over the next few years. Well, I think it's even better than that, John. Um, as you know, I'm a degenerate Ricardian free trader, so um, I think that we, the whole world, can get together now uh, and rethink trade, uh, supply chain, security, and health together. Um, and if if you like, and maybe this is counterintuitive, this is globalization's moment to to come into its own. So the United Kingdom. Uh, will make a very strong policy contribution to um, the intersection of health and trade going forwards. But we remain uh, pro-trade as ever, and I think that as a jurisdiction and as an economy, given the agility of our thought and labor market, we remain um, strong by. Wonderful. Um, okay, great. Listen, we've kept these calls very brief. Um, uh, if there are any questions, uh, you can submit them via chat. Ali, do we have, I don't see any, do we have any questions? These, these tend to be a quiet call. Yeah. Okay, great. So um, I want to thank uh, David, Edward, and Haytham for uh, taking the time. Uh, again, any follow-up questions from anyone on the call, please direct to me. If you want to be formally introduced, if you haven't already uh, to the team, uh, uh, do that as well, and I'll pass you on. Uh, David, Edward, Haytham, thank you very much for your time today. Uh, stay well, stay safe, everyone, and take care of each other. Thank you, John. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Cheers. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks, everyone.